We're continuing our series called The Upside Down Kingdom. And this morning in particular, we're going to look at greatness in the kingdom. How does the upside down kingdom define greatness? And we're actually going to look at Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Paul allows us to look at the example and the model of Jesus. And what Paul does is he says, here's the greatest person that ever lived. And I want to show you how I define greatness according to Jesus. The greatest man that ever lived, this is what greatness looks like. And he does so here, Paul does, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Verse 1, it says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of the same mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. A few years ago, GQ did, named Matthew McConaughey, Man of the Year, and in the December 2013 article naming him Man of the Year, they interviewed Matthew McConaughey, and he said this, he said, really, I'm a fan of being selfish. I think selfish has gotten a bad rap. You should do for you. You see, I didn't get to the top, I didn't become the Man of the Year without first worrying about and being concerned about caring for myself. And I think our culture would resonate with that. Selfish gets a bad rap. See, the whole idea of being great, according to our culture, requires an in-depth selfishness. Being great, according to our world and according to our culture, requires at some level you making the decision that I will live for myself, that I am the center of the universe, and I am the most important thing in the world. I'm the most important person in the family. I'm the first most important person in my home. I'm the most important person at work. I'm the most important person at church. I am the most important. Matthew McConaughey in our culture and our world would say, you want to get to the top? Just worry about yourself. Worry about you. And what's interesting here that we see in Philippians chapter 2, we see greatness defined. Certainly Jesus was great. In verses 9 through 11, Paul talks to the greatness of God. 
Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. So we see that certainly Jesus was great. Paul talks about the greatness of God, that there is no one greater than Jesus Christ. But the question is, how, according to Paul, is the greatness of Jesus Christ defined? And this is where we see the upside-down kingdom of God. Because he doesn't define the greatness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't define the reality that Jesus is the name above all names as a man that worried about himself. In fact, everything about Jesus and his comforts and his conveniences and his wants and his desires took a back seat. You see, the way that Paul defines the greatness of Jesus is here in verse 3. You see, before Paul talks about the greatness of Jesus in verses 9 through 11, in verse 3, what does it say? Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You see, what Paul wants us to understand is in the upside-down kingdom of God, the path to greatness is to first become low. It's to empty yourself. You see, greatness according to the upside-down kingdom is first and foremost marked by extreme humility. So humble, so low, that everyone's needs comes before yours. And the culture says the exact opposite. The culture cries out, it's all about your rights and your comforts and your conveniences. And you see, this is not something new in our culture. This is not something that's come about in the last hundred years. You see, even the ancients understood the idea of being great. You see, we often think that humility was a virtue a hundred years ago, or humility was a virtue 2,000 years ago, and we somehow messed it up. You see, 2,000 years ago, according to the ancients, humility was never a virtue. Actually, humility was something that was looked down upon. The ancients thought that the gods are the one that have really succeeded in life, that the whole path to, to life and to greatness was to become like the gods. We were left behind in our meekness and in our humility, and that humility was seen as a curse. But 2,000 years ago, a man came to the scene by the name of Jesus Christ, and he turned that upside down. And he said, no, no, humility is not a curse. Humility is a virtue. And humility is a virtue because what Jesus did is he turned that paradigm upside down with the upside down kingdom. And he said, I will show you what it means to at one point be great in the heavens and leave my father's home in the heavens and come down in the form of a servant. You want to see true greatness. True greatness is marked by humbling yourself. It is marked by extreme humility. Nobody talked about humility as a virtue. Nobody talked about humility being on the pathway to greatness until it was Jesus. The one who was great became nothing. The one who was high went low, even to the point of crucifixion. The lowest point that a person could go 2,000 years ago was to be crucified, to be crucified 
in utter humiliation, to be expelled, to be publicly humiliated. And Jesus became a man, and not only a man, but became a common criminal to show for us that the greatest must become the least. And so if greatness according to the kingdom of God is marked by humility, what are some things that this shows us about humility? And what does this show us about the kingdom of God? Well, the first thing that Jesus' example of humility shows us is it's our means to grow. We can't grow without the example of Jesus' humility. You see, when we have the freedom to embrace the humility of Christ and understand that true greatness is marked by humility, the first thing that it does for us is it, it allows us to truly grow. How do we grow? We grow when we're actually able to listen and not talk. That we don't have to be the first one to have the answer. We don't have to be the only one that talks in a conversation. We can actually be the one that the scriptures talk about in the sense of being quick to listen and slow to speak. We can actually be that person. Someone once said that correction is the wise man's best friend that we would actually be able to admit that we're wrong and ask for advice. Just this past week, I was talking to a small group on our staff about asking for correction and how few times that we have as a staff to actually invite correction, to, to allow people to actually have the freedom to correct us and to offer us some criticism. And I left that meeting going, it is absolutely paramount for our staff in particular to always be people that are asking for correction, asking for advice, not allowing people to come to us and, and offer the correction, but be the first one to engage it, be the first one to ask for it. And it's only the humility of Christ that gives us that freedom to say, you know what, the only way I'm going to grow, the only one that I will be, the only way I can be great in the kingdom of God is being the first to be and allow myself to be the one that admits, I don't have all the answers. I need to grow. I need to listen. When's the last time we asked our spouse for correction and advice? When's the last time we've humbled ourselves to the point we actually asked our kids, how can I be a better dad? How can I be a better mom? When's the last time we actually went to our employees? If you have people that you oversee and you manage and said, how can I be a better boss? How can I be a better supervisor? People that own small businesses that have clients, how can I serve your needs better? Regardless of what sector you're in, how can I improve what I'm doing in service to you? You see, it's the example of Christ's humility that allows us to grow in this area and only the example of Christ's humility that allows us to be a person that first listens and then speaks. The example of Christ's humility, humility not only allows us to grow, but it gives us the freedom to admit we don't know everything. Yeah, we know a lot about accounting. We know a lot about real estate. We know a lot about running our business. We know a lot about teaching. We know a lot about a lot of things. But do you know everything? Of course you don't. Do you know everything there is to know about hieroglyphics? Do you know everything there is to know about ice fishing off of Greenland? Do you know everything about the spiral nebulae and the constellations of the universe? Of course you don't. You don't know everything. And only through the humility of Christ and his example can we actually have the freedom to admit, I don't know everything, and it's okay. 
You remember the encounter of Job and God in the Bible. And Job had just had his world turned upside down. And Job is having it out with God. Where were you when this happened? Where were you when that happened? And you remember God's response? He says, God says, I got some questions for you, Job. Where were you when I flung the heavens into existence? When were you, where were you when I put the constellations in motion? Where were you, Job? And he puts Job in his place and leaves him in a quivering pile of jello and humbles him because he doesn't know everything. Margaret Thatcher, the great prime minister of England in the 1980s, some say one of the wisest leaders, smartest leaders of our modern era, at her funeral in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, there was something missing. Do you know what it was? A eulogy. Margaret Thatcher refused to have a eulogy at her service. Before she died, she says, I want people to hear about Jesus and sing about Jesus. I don't want them to talk about me. One of the wisest people, one of the wisest leaders in our modern era said, I refuse to have people talk to me when I'm gone. The freedom to admit we don't know any, everything. The example of Christ's humility not only allows us to admit we don't know everything, it allows us to serve the least of these. You see, what the example of Christ's humility does in the face of common culture, the culture tells us there are people in every single one of our lives that are here to serve you. What the example of Christ's humility does It says that the people that the culture says are here to serve me, we can turn that around and say, no, I'm here to serve the least of these. And so the real question becomes, for those that have received so much, the real question is not how can I continue to get more. The real question becomes, because of Christ's humility, now the question becomes, how can I leverage my influence or my wealth or my position, or whatever God has blessed you with, how can I leverage it for the common good of all people? How can I serve the least of these in my neighborhood, and in my community, and in my workplace, and in my church, and the people that I cross, come across every single day in my life? Only the example of Christ's humility allows to me to have the freedom to say, how can I serve the least of these? We're in the thick of... March Madness, and you might remember, I think it was back in 2013, Louisville was Joel Satterley's favorite team. Um, I'm just kidding, big Kentucky fan. Um, But Louisville was playing for the national championship, and if you remember, one of their star players went up for the shot and came down in a way in which one part of his leg went one way and the other part went the other way. And the fall and the crash onto the floor was so abrupt and so painful that it flung him into his bench. And if you remember the scene, the, the, the scene on TV was so gruesome. You can only imagine what the scene was like in real life. Well, you, you could tell by the reaction of his bench because his coach and all the players went opposite direction. They got out of his way and didn't even want to get close to him except for one player. Luke Hancock. If you remember the scene, it was on Easter Sunday. Luke Hancock grabbed the player, held him, and he began to pray over him. Luke Hancock went on to become the MVP that year. 
But it was in that image that we saw that humility allows us to go in when everyone flees. It allows us to serve the least of these. When others move away, humility causes us to rush in. But what's the problem? Why can't we just leave here today going, there's Christ's example of humility, let's just follow suit. What's the problem? Well, we see it also in verse 3. Not only do we see the definition of greatness marked by humility in verse 3, but it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. You see, the problem is in that word conceit. See, it's in moments like this where I actually appreciate the King James Version because if you read the King James Version, the word conceit there reads vain glory, empty glory. What Paul is trying to say is we all do things out of vain glory, that there is an emptiness in your soul and mine longing to be filled with glory. When we do things out of conceit, we do things out of a vain glory, longing for that glory to be filled, longing to receive glory. Because deep down inside of every one of us, there is a longing to be significant. There is a longing to be great. There's a longing to matter. And what Paul is saying is you will go throughout your entire life searching for that one thing that will satisfy that longing for glory, that longing to matter, that longing to be someone and so the problem is, the reason why we just can't get this by nature is we've been born with this problem, longing for glory. And we will do whatever, however, in any way, shape, or form, we will do whatever it takes to receive the glory that our hearts long for, just to matter, just to be someone, to be considered great. We're empty. We hunger for the glory. And that is why humility is so hard. But what's the answer? What can solve this problem? It's found in verse 7. It says Jesus, talking about Jesus in verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You see, what Jesus does here, it tells us, is in verse 7, he became nothing. And it was through Jesus becoming nothing. It is Jesus emptying himself, even emptying himself of what? Glory. It is Jesus emptying himself of the glory of the Father that allows the emptiness of our souls to be satisfied. You see, the hole in our heart, the hole in our souls that is longing to be filled and satisfied is only answered and solved by the person and work of Jesus Christ. It was through Jesus emptying himself and literally, as it says in verse 7, becoming nothing, losing the glory of even his Father that allows us in return to have the glory of the Father shining down on us as his sons and as his daughters. Think about Jesus becoming nothing, leaving his heavenly home and coming down to earth humbling himself, taking the job of a 
carpenter and then going out into the world, not coming down as a prince or as royalty or as a lord or as a king, but coming down as a carpenter and then going out into the world. Jesus himself says what? That foxes have holes and birds have place, uh, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That Jesus not only comes and comes not as a king or as royalty, but goes out and is homeless. And then he's deserted by his friends, and then arrested, and then even put to death. The nothingness of Jesus is the only answer to understand what it means to be truly great. You see, what Jesus does for us he says the way up is to go down the way to rule is to serve the way to be rich is to give it all away and we see what happened eventually to the disciples the disciples too were deserted and arrested and went through the humiliation that Jesus went through himself but it's interesting in Luke chapter 22 in Luke ch- chapter 22, the disciples are debating ap- about the greatness. Greatness in the kingdom. Everybody wants to be great, even the disciples. And it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was regarded the greatest. Was it going to be Matthew? Was it going to be Peter? Was it going to be John? Who was going to be greatest? And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? And listen to this in verse 28. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And so Jesus is saying, you will go through trials. You will experience humiliation. Verse 29, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What Jesus is trying to tell them in the midst of this great debate, the debate that reigns in your heart and in my heart every single day about who is considered great, Jesus says, no, wait a second. You've got it all wrong. In order to be great, you have to go through the trials that you cannot experience the exaltation of Christ until you first have experienced the humiliation of Christ. You cannot experience the exaltation of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords until you have first experienced the humiliation of Jesus himself. That on this side of heaven, the answer to greatness will not be found and defined by our culture. That actually, the culture will look at you And they will say you have failed. The culture will look at you and say you are weak. The culture will look at you and say there's really nothing great. But Jesus is saying there is a greater reward that awaits. That through the trials and the humiliation of Christ and experiencing that humiliation in unity to Jesus Christ, that one day you will sit at the king's table. You will sit in the seat of honor. So don't allow the world and this culture to define greatness for you because there is coming a greater greatness and a kingdom that is upside down. 
And so the promise here that we have is that you this morning can give up your glory. That glory that you're chasing, the glory that you're longing for. And the reason you can give up your glory this morning is because Jesus first gave up his glory. You can serve someone that the culture says should be serving you. And you have the freedom this morning to serve them because Jesus first served you. And you this morning have the freedom to be humbled because Jesus first humbled himself even to the, be- even to the point of death. You want to be great? You need to be turned upside down. There's a man by the name of Bruce and... Bruce, a year ago, came to Christ, and as he was meeting with his pastor, Bruce said, as a child, I didn't grow up in the church, and as a child, I never was baptized, and I'd I'd really like to be baptized now that I have committed my life to Jesus. And the day came for his baptism, and the pastor stood up to tell the story of Bruce, and the pastor says... Bruce was born with cerebral palsy, but today he is a born-again child of God. And with tears rushing down Bruce's face, he was baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And after the service, Bruce went over to the past, Bruce went over to the pastor in his wheelchair and he said, Pastor, if I'm a child of God, does this mean that I am a child of the king? And the pastor said, Yes. You are forever part of the kingdom with all of the rights, with all of the privileges. You know what Bruce's ministry is? Every Sunday after the service, much like ours, you can find Bruce in his wheelchair at the bottom of the stairs because he says, I have one mission in life, to tell people how they can be a son and daughter of the king. What's greatness? Only in God's economy can a man who can no longer walk, only in God's economy can a man who can barely talk be considered great. And the invitation to become part of the kingdom of God, this upside-down kingdom, is an invitation that is extended to you this morning. But here's the catch. To be a part of this kingdom, you don't bring your contributions. To be a part of this kingdom, you don't bring your resumes. To be a part of this kingdom, you don't bring your merits. You don't bring your accomplishments and all of the ways that you have received glory in your life. The way you're part of this kingdom is you go, there's another man, Jesus. And it's on the basis of his contributions, and it's on the basis of his resume, and it's on the basis of his merits, and it's on the basis of him losing his glory that now the Father's glory can shine on me as a son and daughter of the King. And that invitation is extended to you this morning to become a child of the king with all of the rights and all of the privileges of this upside-down kingdom.